Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience revelatory teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. It's Tuesday. That means it's ABCs of Apostleship, Discipling Apostolic Christians Night. All right, before we get started, go tell everybody I'm on. I'm going to teach tonight. We've been on a little bit of a journey, a little bit of an apostolic Christian journey, if you will. But we've been on a little bit of a journey. But I had this amazing, amazing just breakthrough with God. And I can't wait to tell you. So I don't want anybody to miss it. So go right now and tell everybody she's on, she's on, she's on. And she's going to share a breakthrough. I know you all probably think, do I still have breakthroughs? Yeah, I do. I still have breakthroughs. I still breaks through in my life. And listen, my attitude is this. When I stop breaking through, that means I stop going forward. And staying still is just not what I want to do in Christ. Our God never stops moving. He is always into something, always moving always going forward, always advancing his cause. And if he's doing it, I think we should. So I have a breakthrough. Tell everybody. Go ahead, put the button on right now. Hit it. Share. Share. Pass on. Link. Give it to me. Give it to somebody. Say so you don't want to miss this because, guys, we're doing something here. Something great is happening here. Something really awesome, awesome is happening here. And I am excited that we are doing it together. We're going after it together. We are a team. We're one. Our numbers are going through the roof. We're increasing every week. I mean, all all the signs of God getting geared up for something great are happening. And I'm telling you, it's because of you. We're we're, we're at this thing. We must be coming up on a year or something. So, right? Come on. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, wait, is it this month? I just did the report. Okay, but it feels like it should be this. Yeah, time. I think it works. And so, yeah, look at that. Isn't that wonderful? Here. Uh, and so, here's what's exciting is that we are here. It's been a year. We've grown. We've been taking apostolic Christianity out there. We've been building on it a little here and a little there. And, and I've, I've laid down the reasons for it. But today, we go into the next level. That's why I don't want anybody to miss it. Next level. Well, before I get to that, hi, kids. I have to say hi to my kids, you know, because um, I like them to know I think about them because the children are our future, and if we don't have kids today, we won't have to anybody on the planet tomorrow. Hallelujah. And so we thank God for the kids, and we thank God for parents who raise them in the Lord, and we bless the parents who dare raise their children in Jesus Christ. That's a bold statement today. It's almost as bold as it was back in the early years of the church, A.D., 2, 3, 4, 20, and et cetera. But, hey, we still hang it on, and we're still, we're still ruling this thing. And, and God has shown us that he's not ready to throw in the towel. And if God's not ready to quit, I think we need to hang on. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Okay, before we get started, do we have any roll calls? I know it's a little early. I have to give you all time to key it in. You know, some of you all can't, don't have that thumb thing down real quick. I don't. I just still... You know, I keep, well, I'm glad there's a Corey keyboard. You know, I was having a fit about that. You know, the, the little TV folks, and we have to do the thing with the little televisions, no QWERTY. What is that all about? <laughs> right. I mean, we all know a QWERTY keyboard. We know that G and the H are together. You know what I mean? We know the J comes in. It's clear. It's this order thing. Yeah, and now I've got the hunt across the screen. And 
why can't they make a touch, a smart TV with a smart touch sense function? Where we just go and touch your email and, set, and miss a letter. Okay, like I did the other night. I missed it. And she said, uh, that's the wrong. Oh, that's issue. <laughs> and she said, that's the wrong. Okay. Anyway, I'm just giving Brian some time, giving you all an opportunity to, to let me know who's out there. Me? Yes. All right, here we go. <laughs> I was writing that down. <laughs> all right. Lakeland, Florida. Bossier mm. City, Louisiana. Louisiana had a tornado happening down there. Really? Uh, yeah. Joliet, Illinois. Oh. Gainesville, Florida. Troy, Michigan. Charlotte, North Carolina. Providence, Rhode Island. Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta uh, Indianapolis, Illinois, Houston, Texas, Mount Vernon, New York, Upper Darby, PA, Chester, PA, H-Town is there. Again, somebody say, howdy, Apostle. Hi, guys. Uh, media, media, Pennsylvania. Media. Yes. I wonder if that's named after anything in particular. That sounds like an interesting name. I know. Yes. In your neck of the woods. Uh-huh. I haven't heard of it, though. You know, yeah, know. Well, hey, you know. Yeah. The only reason I know most of New Jersey and still remember is because I used to work for the Postal Service. You know, you had to learn all those zip codes. And I used to know them all around the world until we started changing things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was glad I got off before they added those extra five digits. You know, that was difficult. Yeah. Or four, whatever that is, because it's five and four, isn't it? All right. Periscope. All right, Periscope. We have Connecticut, uh, York, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Colorado, Maryland, Bainbridge, Georgia, woo. Rochester, New York, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Western Texas, Indiana. Stone Mountain, Georgia, Arizona, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Sterling, Virginia, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, Glenpool, Oklahoma, <laughs> Hightstown, New Jersey, Marietta, California, Maryland. Ooh, Periscope representing. Seattle, Washington, <laughs> Richmond, Virginia, San Antonio, Texas, Montreal, Canada, <laughs> Chocolate, <laughs> 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 Los Angeles, California. Ooh, Periscope, you are representing tonight. I know Facebook catches up because like, they usually log on a little bit later. Some of them have to work and earn that living. Glory to God. <laughs> Any more you want to add before we wrap it up? Tulsa. Hi, Tulsa, home base. And Claudette said she used to work for the Postal Service, too. Did she? Oh, yeah, the little hand is done. Okay, that wasn't fun. <laughs> Bought a house, though, but it wasn't fun. Well, okay. You know, right. <laughs> we take the blessings we can get, right? Well, it's exciting. I'm excited tonight about all that God is doing. I have a revelation. And um, I started my first church in February 1985. Actually, I founded it in December, but we finally, you know, got it established, incorporated it by February. When I started the church, you know, we do communion. I went to a a couple of those, you know, at that that time, a lot of – a lot of those faith churches and what, at least the local ones, I don't know what the big folks were doing, they weren't doing communion. You know, so I was, you know, we, you raised Baptists, you're going to do communion. See, we gonna, you know, there are reasons why he's got, God keeps these institutions around because they keep the fundaments of what he's doing and his faith moving forward. So they were like, oh, you did communion in Baptists, you know, no matter what, and I'm sure many of the other mainline denominations. But um, so, you know, imagine my surprise when I end up at a church that doesn't do communion. And I'm thinking, no communion? And then they had a one crazy season where we just, they just dropped some grape, a grape in the cup. I was like, I'm done. You know, because at that time, the grace liberty thing was going crazy. 
and people were doing things. I remember going to one church, and everybody came in with, with you know, thong, flip-flops, thongs, and coochie-colored shorts, and they played up notes, notes that rolled out the beach ball yeah. at the end of praise and worship. That's how crazy it has, you know, we think it's just funny. That's how it was happening back then. And so they were doing beach balls, and, you know, that's the type kid. Uh, mm-mm. <laughs> mm-mm. Mm-mm. I was bonding up balls, man. I command the balls to deflate. I command, I shook up this. I was like, I rebuke this unclean place. This is not a new recreational devil. I bind you up. I'm like, you know, beach ball devil. I shook this. Yes, I did. I spent the whole time binding up and then going to turn around and give me some communion with a grape in the cup. I was too through. Y'all need to stop calling on the name of the Lord, and y'all need to find a little a bucket of Jesus' blood that he left somewhere and jump in it. So that was the era. So I was, when I started, <laughs> you know, a lot of some saints need to have another dip in the blood. And so... And, the, you know, the pastor was all excited about we're not religious. That's not even, you know, not being religious is one thing, but moving into downright sacrilegious, yeah. that's perversion. And I was like, so, baby, so we're working so hard not to be religious, we don't turn sacrilegious. Okay, so we're just going to kill everything, God. I was so, I couldn't get out of that church fast. And he said, well, how did you enjoy service? I said, and I thought, I'm here with a friend of mine. What do I say? I said, I didn't like it. You know, I had another one because, you know, I'm not the woman to bring in for crazy. I guess that's gotten around. So I had another one. We had this whole thing when we had the laughter movement. And so then after praise and worship, they woke up. The guy went his jacket pulled out from imaginary pipe. We all going to get drunk in the Lord. But I was, I was lost. Now, I'm, I'm the guest speaker sitting on the front row. I am so not good at this. When I say not good, and so, you know, I'm at the age now where, you know, hey, bless be God, I'm, you know, the Lord is good. So they were, they thought, and they thought, so they started, you know, and I was looking around the room because I really wanted to see what this was because I saw, I, I, I couldn't find a giggle. I couldn't even find a smile, so I knew giggling was out. And so I said, God, I need to know, what is this, you know? And so I, I look over there, and, and somebody was barking, someone else was writhing on the floor, someone else was doing kind of some sort of little animal gesture, and I said, this is the devil. Because you know me. <laughs> this is the devil. So, you know, and so I did. I sat there because I was trying to be nice. And essentially, I couldn't tell you. I got up. I left. I let them finish. I sat in the lobby, talked to Jesus, because nobody else was. <laughs> me and the Holy Ghost needed a conversation. And so, as a matter of fact, when it came out of the laughter and whatnot, and before I left, I watched a woman, two women facing each other, and one was tickling the other woman's hand so she could laugh. And I said, see, I told you I knew it was the devil. That was the devil. And I'm amazed at what Satan can get humans to do. It still stuns me that he can get humans to do some of the most ridiculous things. And so I walked out. So after it's all over, I, I, I'm so caught up in God, I forget. I didn't even know. Where's the, where's the Jack speaker? I, I, I'm out of here. I'm coming. Because I was like, I'm not going to do that. There were places my mantle will not benefit you. So I went in a room because y'all needed to get your imaginary drunk on. And so I was like, not there. Now, why did I tell you that? Because and when I started my church, I was committed to not using my liberty as a pastor to do all that insanity that we call freedom in Christ. 
Because I that was free. Especially when I know I did all of that not in Christ. See, I have this stuff. They were stretching for Christ, freedom. I was like, but I did all of that when I was a sinner. I was so serious. I laughed. I did my drink. I did my drug. I did it all. I mean, it was like, so I came to Christ to be different. I didn't come to Christ just to act like I was, you know, boarding. I didn't become, come to Christian to be a border in Christ's house or a loiter on the wall. I came to be different, to be a real citizen of Jesus Christ. So what we did was we set up communion. Now, I knew from the Baptist we always did 1 Corinthians. You know, we always read the 1 Corinthians scripture, you know, about it's 12, right? Um, we read every month. But God had me read another passage. And we've, I've read that passage every time we've done communion with every church that I've been since 1985, and that's John chapter 6. You remember that? Because you read it every month. Yes. And so we read it where Jesus is talking about, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the bread of life. Now, I'm telling you, because some of you all are pastors and leaders, and some of you all are revelationists as well. You've got revelations on things, and all you know is that you're just doing it because God is telling you. Now, and I mentioned 1985 because I wanted you to realize how long it took for me to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why I say revelation needs research, and sometimes revelation needs incubation. And so this month, I gave birth to a 30-year revelation. <laughs> and that's what this story was about. And the revelation has to do with communion. So we read this passage in John all the time. I mean, all the time. I'm going to see. Um, let me see. I hope I wrote it because, you know, I was so excited. Jesus, okay. It's John 632 to 58. So for those of you who want to read it, it's very lengthy, but it does everything that you want to say. So Jesus was given this revelation about being the bread of heaven, the bread of life, and the bread that came down from heaven. <clears throat> the God is using this thing to say, hey, by the way, I'm an alien, you know, and uh, I'm an alien that came down in human body, and so, hey, I'm here as God to do this thing. And so I read it, and as I was reading it, I thought, wow. So then, uh, as you all have been following me, God has talked to me and said, now listen, I want you to let, make sure they understand that new era apostleship is organic Christianity. And so we know it's the first Christians that have been born, because if you are born a Christian, let's lay this out again, if you were born by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, you were born as an apostolic Christian. Then you took a surname called Baptist, Pentecostal, Assemblies of God, you know, Brotherhood, Whatever else God got out of there, Nazarene, Methodist, Episcopalian, what is it, Presbyterian, we got them, you know. Um, but if you, who, if you were born again by the Bible, the Word of God, as Peter said, the incorruptible seed of Christ, Word of God, um, and you were born again by the Holy Spirit according to John chapter 3, and which was prophesied in Ezekiel 34, then you were born as an apostolic Christian. Now, I realize that we've taken it and turned it into a denomination, but before it was a denomination, it was the corporeal body of Christ established on earth, and it still is. So every Christian begins their life apostolic, which is why it is weird that today's Christians don't know apostles. It is weird because everything that we have in the New Testament has been by and about and through apostles because the prophets brought us the old, and the apostles brought us the new. And Peter said it very clearly. Um, and when he said, you know, to, and John talks about, Jude said it, talking about following the commandments of the apostles, following our teachings. Uh, Luke, has, Luke chapter 2 talks about the apostles' doctrine. 
and we don't even we don't touch that any longer. I, I haven't heard too many apostles really break the seal on apostles' doctrine. I don't know if I heard any. Now that doesn't mean I heard them all, but that doesn't you know that's not a judgment call at all. It's that I have not heard them. I know that it's not a widespread thing. I know it's not public, but there is something called apostles' doctrine that is backed up by miracles, signs, wonders, safety, a hedge of protection, the fiery wall of God, the the the, uh, the August of the church, if you will, that foreboding thing of the church, and the fearsomeness of God. And we don't see that because. Well, we don't preach apostolically. We preach evangelically. And so we've, we've, we've kind of washed ourselves and, and, and kind of run out of the evangelical message. And if you want to know the difference, evangelicalism is about soul winning, soul saving. It's, it, it focuses on salvation, which is why sanctification has fallen to the wayside in the modern church in so many areas. You know, when you have Christians, when you talk about the division of our country, before the country was divided, the church divided. We divided on who Christ is, what Christ is. We've been fragmented so long, people have just learned to live with it, and they think that we need to have these walls and boundaries. But it's the truth. The Bible said that we, we, you know, we're supposed to stay under the fivefold so we can stay in the unity of the faith, the unity of the spirit, okay, and, 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 the, and the same knowledge of Christ. We don't do that. And we don't, so the church, before our country split, the church split, and the church fractured. And it, then, it, then it went from being fractured to splintered. And we're now into splinters. And, you know, splinters are small little fragments where anybody who could think differently is. And that's something that apostleship always stands against. They stand against a, a division. They stand against the fracturing of the body of Christ. They stand against a divisiveness. Paul and, and the apostles talked about it all the time. They always rebuke divisiveness because it was always born in the, 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 the life before Christ. So when you think the difference, apostleship is going to talk to you about the sovereign that became a savior. Evangelicalism is going to talk to you about a, the, the lamb that became the, 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 the son of God that became the lamb that became the savior. And you're not going to know Jesus and his sovereignty. As a matter of fact, we spent the last 40 or so years arguing about if it was even appropriate in the church any longer. The sovereignty, I mean, I've had lunch with people. I've had conversations. I've had phone conversations and, and roundtables with people talking about we have a debate on sovereignty. I was like, what? Okay. And so I just went on. You know, that's like I, I can't even put any, any wisdom to them. And I was thinking, well, if Jesus is not if he's not sovereign, he can't get you out of here. Now, he might have gotten you in him, but he, if he's not sovereign, he can't get you out of here because that means he has to answer to someone else to get your release, and I thought that's what he purchased on the cross. That's what I thought, you know. But then, I'm, you know, I, there I go, reading that Bible again. Whew, it'll get you, you know. <laughs> reading that Bible will mess up your theology. Reading the Bible will mess up your doctrine. It will mess up your beliefs. It will mess up your value system. You know, many people, I love, you ever notice, Ashley, this, I get to pick at Ashley's head. You ever notice churches have Bible studies, they never get off of a book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I was like, so you, you, can, you can, the Bible studies like the soap opera. You go in, and we're going to hair pick one verse. 364 days later. We're still in the same book, and hopefully, hopefully midway through it. And you know why? Because it's not about learning God. It's about everybody winning people over to their theological thoughts. Most of you who are, and I love it when people tell me that, most of you 
I'm going to get my theology degree. I just want to tell you, I've, learned, I've, I've examined hundreds of them, no joke, some of the best schools in the planet, in the country. And you know what? Most of them, you will never read your Bible. And you know why? They think because the Bible is so popular, easily accessed and is popularly read. And they think because it's so popularly read, they think it is universally understood. And that is why you don't know your Bible with your degree. Come on, somebody. Somebody's helping me out there? Okay. How about that? You know, I mean, you, you, you sit down and you talk about these people, and, and unless they, and, and I really mean it, and that's not taking anything from anybody. People go the way God gives them to go. But unless this person has actually made the, the, the chapter and verse things, you won't read it. You're going to read about books about the Bible. You're going to read about the church. You're going to learn about the church. You're going to read about the sacred letters. You're going to read about all of the other letters. That every other letter, so the letters that God has people write, you're going to learn a whole lot, and you're going to come out and not know your God and not know your Bible and not be able to defend your faith even though you are fierce about your theology. Now, that's how much the Word of God has been under attack. So you have all these preachers, and, and I mean, and they're arguing you down. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, Augustus August say, and Augustine said, and this one said, and Irenaeus said, and and Polycarp, and then you're gonna argue them down as if those people canonized scripture, and they did it. There's a reason why God stopped writing after a while, because when his his initial force was done, he was like, all I'm gonna get now are copycats, knockoffs, and deviations from what I want. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, you know, because I get people who say that they come to my school and they get really upset they got to learn the Bible. I say, well, I thought, you know, excuse me, that's like an attorney getting mad because he's got to learn the Constitution. Aren't you going to be an attorney? You need to know the Constitution, good pieces of it. They get very <clears throat> get upset until I start teaching. And when I start teaching it to them the way, uh, the way God wants them to learn it, they were like, oh, like, I didn't know. But that, is that in there? Yeah. And much of that stuff back, like God just wrote that morning. <laughs> now, here's the strategy. The strategy is the Holy Ghost has got to honor the Word of God. The, the, the God Jesus said he mandated, he will take away his mind, he will show it unto you. He will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit of God must honor Scripture. So if you don't know how to act, and you don't know how to dig, or you don't know what to stand on in Scripture, guess what? You don't, you got to coin toss whether or not God's going to do it. Now, I'm, that's not taking away from God's mercy because God's a merciful God. But you are just a coin toss. Now, I'm saying all of this because these are all pillars and foundations that we've let fall to the wayside. And when they first happened, they were not about tearing down the church. I don't want to think that. I just don't want to think that. I think that when they first went, like anything else, you started because it serves an immediate purpose. It solves a problem. It answers a question. It brings peace. It causes some reconciliation, a little bit of compromise, and a little give and take. And then before you know it, you're given and, and the devil's taken until you have given it all away. And that's the problem with not knowing scriptures because you don't know the lies. Well, I've sat down there with a, with a, a missionary who told me I could not tell her people about that, that what they were learning was New Age. Oh, no, because we just want them to stay in the church. In the church and go to hell? 
Are you kidding? Them people going to whoop your behind in hell. When they, I'm telling you, they're going to whip your behind when you get there. And they're going to say, because of you, I'm here. I shouldn't have been here. Because I, if I had only known, you told me this was okay. You told me this was right. You put my soul on the line. You put my family on the line. You did this. And I'm telling you, y'all both will be tormenting each other forever. Because there, there is a hereafter. And everybody's got to say something to persuade their maker to keep them out of hell. That's just the way it goes. So let's talk about why I did this. So I did John 663, John 63s were stuck with me, but we read, and we still do, we read John 6 every communion because Jesus said it. He said, I don't know why they don't read about what, what I am. I'm the bread of life. I mean, you eat my bread, you live forever. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm not as mad. Your father's ate in the dead and it wasn't listening. So we read it every week. And you don't like anything else. You do it every month, and it becomes a little bit. But when we read it this Sunday after Sunday's message, you want to share? You can share because you had to do the reading. We did the thing on organic. Yeah, Dr. Price messed us up. I mean, she messed me up. <laughs> Talking about organic, just organic Christianity, absent of additives, absent of um, culture, mm-hmm. and connecting that with Jesus being the bread of life. I mean, I and unleavened bread. You talked about not him not having any leaven. All of that together, I could also couldn't even hardly get through communion. <laughs> she kept stopping from reading. She was like, uh, oh, yeah, right, I'm supposed to be reading. You know? And then we're sitting on the front row, and so why am I telling you this? Because now I'm going to the screen to tell you what we are. I'm just going to give you a snapshot of it. If you would like a copy of it, you have to reach out to Prophet Ashley because she's the lady who does all of that. And we always like to put everything on her because she has very strong shoulders. So if you look at it again, you'll see there to the right is the book, um, ABC New Apostleship, the um, Discipling Apostolic Christians, the first Christians to be, ever be born and to populate the earth. That is a distinction that separates us from every other religion. It doesn't make a difference how many surnames, middle names we're attached to it in terms of our, our denominations and our, the various Christian sects that we have. It, that, that doesn't matter. Bottom line, we are all apostolic Christians. We're all born of the apostles. Now, let me tell you how important that is. That is so important that when Jesus answers Peter in Matthew 19, he says that the, that the, the one office, think about this, the one office that Jesus says will reign with him forever is the office of the apostle. Huh. Matthew 19. He said, and then he says it two more times just to make sure we know. That he didn't mean, that he didn't, you know, he meant what he said. He said that. He talks about the foundation being apostles and prophets. And I'm telling you that because he doesn't name that. Now, here's what makes that interesting because in, the, in a similar fashion, the Lord Jesus only personally ordained one office, the office of the apostle. He never ordained another office. Now, he sent the 70 out, but he ordained the apostle. And he sent the 70 out, I think, as much to let us know that it wasn't going to be, they just weren't going to bear all the weight and everybody else was going to ride along, as it was to let us know that he was giving gifts to men. <clears throat> but when you look at the New Testament, no other office did the Lord Jesus ordain or appoint, not even when he rose from the dead, when the church was on its way. Church is in route. He's training these apostles. He didn't bring anybody in. He had the 11 in that room, not even Matthias. <clears throat> Excuse me who ended up being 
an apostle chosen by the others, other apostles, the original apostles, just to let us know how God's going to do it. And so he didn't. And when Jesus came back, it is recorded that he came back and he ordained a 12th or 13th, if you will, apostle. That's it. So when you're talking about what Jesus is doing, then he turns around and he hands his kingdom and he hands his church to this office to keep and to staff and to, you know, develop, establish, and protect. So here we are right now without it. And then many of those we have don't have a clue. They don't have a clue what God is doing or what he's saying. They just know he's called them to do it. Now, why am I saying that? Because when God commissions you directly, he doesn't commission you barrenly. And I got the rest, though. Don't you think that's one of the foods? Jesus, that came up out of here. I was like, ooh, that had to come from the can. I got to get it. That's for Jesus. That's for Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that for the Lord. And so he never, ever commissions barrenly. He just doesn't. Because the whole idea is being. Uh, a dis, uh, is having a dispensation committed to our trust. A dispensation is very full, it's very broad. So I thought like that when he started talking to me about apostleship, you know, um, immediately he began to talk about this is how I want it, this is what I want, this is what I did, this is how we do it, this is what we do it. Like he did with Moses, took Moses to the mountain. After, first of all, he spent all this time with Moses just to get them beefed up, to get the people out of Egypt. And then he takes them to the mountain. And he gives him 40 days and 40 nights. And we only think he comes back with the tablets of the Ten Commandments. We never really read the text. <clears throat> I told you, reading that thing will mess you up. Because he said he came back with the entire pattern of God's earthly nation. Government, law, institutions, leadership, structure, justice, you name it. He came back with the whole thing. You know, I heard it preached by one person one day who said that, you know, Moses came down with Ten Commandments, and, and we invented 601 laws. That's not what happened at all. The man came down with the kingdom. And if you're going to come down with the kingdom, you're going to have the, the, the core or the center of it, and then you're going to have all the other amendments. Like we got amendments, Bill of Rights, this, that. You're going to end up with structure, educational structure. He came down with the seven spheres. That's how else can he set it up. The man was called to establish a kingdom in the wilderness. See, a lot of stuff just passed on because whatever we didn't accept evangelically, we then moved over into another thought that said, hey, you know, um, we're all even in God, and, and, you know, God has no special order like that, and we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, and, and even though that doesn't wash, it's amazing how they preach that, and nobody pulled and said, but aren't you the head of the church? Aren't you the head of our congregation? Don't we have to come in at you? Don't we have to do what you say? Nobody ever says that as you sit there shouting and screaming, yeah, hallelujah, I'm my own person, yeah. Uh-uh. And you're not looking at the fact that you are under an order as it's being preached. But see, we're looking for a feeling, and we're not always looking for what's, what the person is revealing or what God is revealing. And so, Anyway, so Moses comes back, and God says, see that you do everything according to the... Now, he came back with the Ten Commandments. How did he come? Where did he get the, 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 the blueprints for the tabernacle? Where did where'd that come from? Where did he get the, the structure for the priesthood? Where did that come from? Or since all he's supposed to have done really was to take care of... Oh, well, he probably got that from Egypt. I think not. 
since God was bringing them out from the religion of the Egyptians, he certainly wasn't going to. Matter of fact, he was, he was ready to take Aaron out for bringing them back into the religion, Egyptian religion. So think about this. When God gives you something, he, and he, if he's going to go through the trouble of making you get very up face to face with him, you pretty much don't. Because if God breathes, you're going to make a billion dollars. That's just God. You know, the man is everything. So he gave me this whole thing called, uh, you know, apostolic Christian and, you know, ABCs of apostleship. And then he added this piece called organic. And he added, added it. And when he did it, I just got it. Yeah, that's nice, guys. So I'm going to just say, boy, I'm excited. Sounds good. I got something new from God. This is great. You know, like new purse, new shoes, new revelation, new piece of scripture. It's wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's really great. And um, so I sported the new shoes, new skirt, new dress, new outfit, and then I taught the scriptures. And then after I taught that one sermon, that one message, he started, he unloaded the rest of it. Because every little thing of God is like uh, uh, like the information on a, in a microchip. It might be a pinhead, but it's, it's a world of knowledge and information. And he began to talk to me about it, and he said, you do realize that the church is the body of Christ. We are the bread, and the Holy Spirit is the wine. And that's why we must be organic. That's why we cannot contaminate our faith, our Christianity, and our doctrine. We cannot do it. And so I've been doing a study on it. I'm probably going to take my church through it for the next several weeks because, well, I need them to get it. But, but understand, organic. And, and so we talked about organic, but then we started talking about the body of Christ is the body of Christ. And if Jesus is the bread of heaven, come on, somebody, seriously, if he's the bread of heaven, then we're the bread of heaven. And we're supposed to bring heaven's blessings and heaven's purity and heaven's sanctification and heaven's application to the earth. Because we're the bread of heaven. The Holy Spirit is alive. Somebody going to hear that. Did anybody hear Did y'all hear me out there? Mm-hmm. Okay, because you know I'm getting excited. I got the hip stuff. And so we need to understand that. So anyway, so uh, the, the Christians, the Holy Spirit, we are the Christians that the Holy Spirit brought to earth on the 50th day after Jesus' departure. Pentecost, meaning 50th day. You know, it's not really deep either. Okay, so let's look at this. We are the organic body of Christ. We are, the Holy Spirit is, because you know, the Holy Spirit is the wine because the Holy Spirit carries the blood Christ. Because blood is in the spirit. Now, I know I've said this before. <clears throat> lean in, because you know how I have to get it. Because when I get ready, I have to tell y'all to lean in. And we're going to get back to that in a minute. But we're going to lean in. I've said to you before. If Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, was implanted in Mary's womb by the, by the Holy Ghost, that means God is the Father, the Holy Spirit, and we know that Jesus was considered sinless because of his father, because of his paternal father, not his adopted one, not his mother. He was sin, he was mortal because of his mother because he got his soul from his mom. Now, that's just understanding Scripture the way it is. So he's immortal. So what does that say? That means that the blood is in the Father's spirit, in the Father's sperm. Now, when Jesus died, his red blood ran down the cross. So what was the blood that he took to heaven 
to put on the altar of God. Huh. So it would have had to be whatever that whatever the red blood cells, whatever generates the red blood cells when it got into the human's body, the human physiology. Because remember, he said we, the reason that we couldn't get saved by, under the law is because the blood only covered the souls. It never changed the spirit. He said the blood was given to us on the altar to make atonement for our souls because that's what keeps, that's what works, the blood of animals. God was like, well, I can't save you by your soul. I got to save you by your spirit. I can reform you by your soul, but I can only save you by your spirit, which is why you must be born again. So clearly the spirit life is in the sperm. And that's not saying that the mother doesn't, but if you look at scripture, scripture always likens the mother's spirit coming from a father because you're the daughter of and the mother. So you get your soul from your mom and you need a soul. Trust me, there's not, this is not a competition. Because <laughs> without without the soul, you still don't have anything. There, there's no you. So that means that in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit carries and ministers the blood, because that's what He put in Mary when she was impregnated with the Christ. Yep, they are they still following me. Yeah. The book went to the altar. <laughs> <laughs> what is the blood drop tonight? <laughs> that had to be Samantha, right? No, Vanessa and Renee. The blood was his spirit. The, in other words, the, the new Christ and the residual of his old spirit, that mortal, the mortal, the, what made him mortal without the body. Because we not, you know, our body is not what's going to heaven, it's our soul. So whatever made him mortal, that particular force, that product is what he took and he poured out. Because remember, he was born again in the earth. He was born again in hell. Jesus was literally born again in hell. A lot of saints don't, don't know that because that's why you hear church say, no, you don't need to be born again, but he did, and he wasn't getting out. And if he couldn't get out of hell without being born again, neither can you. Hallelujah. He was born again, which means born again means that he was brought back to life in the spirit, and his soul rejoined him in hell, and that reunion of the soul and his spirit is what God called justified. Because, see, the sin was put on his soul. The sin wasn't on his spirit. It was on his soul. You will not leave my soul in hell. And when God wanted to burn and get him born again, he sent his, his spirit, his eternal spirit, from heaven to hell to join his soul to bring him back to life. You know, we think we know this. And, yeah, you're right. You probably don't need to know any of this to get saved. To keep it, because you can just say the sinner's prayer, but you know what? It helps you stay safe. The more, more this thing makes sense to you, the more you realize what you're risking with those little, those little flirtations and those little dabblings here and, and those little slips and whatever there. You, you think that, you know? And so when, he, when Jesus went and rose from the dead, he had to take what was left over, pour out his new his new life force, and that's the best I can tell you. We'll just call it a life force because your blood is considered a life force. And he had to pour that out on the altar. What was in that blood? All of us. 
because we were all in him when he incarnated. We were all in him when he got on the cross. We were all in him when he died. We were all in him when he was laid in the grave. We were all in him when he was sent to hell. So we all came back. So we were all justified because we were in that life force that he poured out on the altar, which is how we got justified, and we just need to have faith that what he did as the model, as the template, please God. And see, one thing about a template, we all like templates, because see, a template means you can do it once and just keep redoing it without starting from scratch. You just keep redoing it and redoing it without starting from scratch. Oh, that's so good. I got to fix something again. Hallelujah. Did you all get that? Thank you, God. Are they rolling with me? Oh, yeah. We want the revelation, that's right. <laughs> but sometimes, you you know, you, you, people can't stay saved because it doesn't make sense to them. And when they sit down with their mama who's been in the Lord for 40 years or their dad or their auntie, and they can't answer basic questions or if they get the privilege to sit with their pastor or their teacher and they can't get basic things answered, people begin to lose faith in what they just said they believed in. So I'm doing this to give you something to have not only table talk, talk but answers to people who question, that, what is this all about? What makes Christians the way we are? We are different. I've said it over and over again. Christianity was not born on earth. Christianity came to earth just like its founder. Oh, it again. You know, that, that was, that needed. They may need to hear that. Okay. It was born, it was, Christianity's founder came to earth. He said, I came down from heaven to give my life a ransom for sin. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't this good? And so that's why I, I always make a big deal about it because we are we have all these people who think Jesus had these little flirtations and these little skirmishes with sin, had a couple of little appetites here and there. He may have had some things from his mother, but those were things that he had to, that's what made him temptable. His divinity made him tempt-worthy. Mortality made him temptable. And you have to understand that in order for his salvation to be real, a portion of the God of all creation had to be rendered temptable. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair. So Jesus had to be temptable. In other words, there had to be things on this planet that, that appealed to his mom that she passed on to him, appetites that his mom passed on to him. Oh, somebody hear this thing because this is so good. And so his dad, being God Almighty, blocked all of that so that it only stayed in his soul realm. That's why we must believe people to the saving of our souls. Because the spirit blocked it all so that it so it saw to it that his righteousness and his invincible righteousness was never spoiled. So he but he still had to make a decision because he still had this, these human elements. Now he's got this weakened emotions. He's got these weakened uh, 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 thoughts and ideas. He, he's susceptible to all of the things that, um, that he was judging as a sovereign of creation. He's now susceptible to them. And Satan knows it. And he's throwing them at him like crazy. Slinging it at him. Okay. So Dr. Price, why is this story important? Because you need to understand, he kept himself organic, which is why he was a, a called a proper sacrifice. He stayed. He he kept himself from sin. He did not 
he did not engage in anything that would contaminate his soul to the point that he couldn't come back because his soul could not be dirty until God threw sin on him. He could not enter the contest already sin-ridden. I don't know about y'all. I want to lay down right now. My head is like, oh, gee. Uh-huh. Y'all all right out there? Did you all want to lay down a little bit, too? I'm sorry. Some of y'all are like, can we just get a nap? <laughs> but the reason that I teach it like this is because it's your soul on the line. So Jesus had to be without sin because the fact that God had to put sin on him tells you that he was without sin. And if God didn't put sin on him, he'd still be running around talking about, can I just get to the cross? Today, there wouldn't be any A.D. We would just still be in B.C. Because, of, you know, the law of monarch royalty is that the monarch changes the calendar and causes a new day to be born. That is why this is the Jesus who talked about the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is because Jesus succeeded, went back to being sovereign of sovereign, now bringing all humanity with him. Hallelujah. You are getting blessed. And the reason I'm saying that is because if, he, if Jesus had committed a sin, told him, he took no guile, no lie, no flattery, that's why he hurt everybody's feelings, because he was not afraid he couldn't flatter. Flatter is a form of lie. We lie, but it's still a lie. And so he, you know, he no lie, no flattery, none of that, you know, constantly not, not fussing. The things that he did were acceptable under the terms of his commission. So when he got mad and beat up people with the cat, that was, that was acceptable. Hallelujah. You know, I always talk about how saints like to say, well, you know, Jesus drank wine, and you know what he did? He did, but guess what? He drank wine as a sinless man. That means that by the time that wine got to him, it was no longer dangerous. It, was, he could, he, he, it could make him intoxicated because, remember, the same guy made wine. And he made wine that was so good, drunk people knew it was different. Okay? And you said something. When, you, when you're drunk and you know somebody pulled out the best fruit, okay, that's got to be some good stuff. So what did he do? He made wine that was not destructive or detrimental because they knew it was different. The, man, the head of the house who had been drinking all day through the whole party talked about, yeah, but, you know, usually they water it down by now, but this here – and he knew it was rich. It was full of the life of God. It wasn't fermented. It didn't sit off in some basement to get dusty and dirty. It didn't sit down in a cave with some, you know, rotten fruit or something in it. It didn't do that. It came straight from Jesus' spirit, which tells me that whenever he had wine, it ceased to be wine before it evolved. Because the same man spit on dirt and gave somebody their sight. So we could argue the point, I don't really care, but I'll be honest with you, you know, because I, I mean, people do that. Let me tell you how serious this was. God gave me a revelation. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, and I just like to do it, but God gave an interesting revelation about Timothy. We always use Timothy, because, you know, Christians, we're going to find that one little yay. We're going to see 700 names, but babies, we find that one little, little yay, and I mean, it's off. All bets are off. And so I was watching, I was um Reading Timothy, and God spoke to me. This is going back a couple of years. This is kind of like old revelation, but my church has heard it. And so, um, but God spoke to me. He said, so why do you, because Jesus teaches me like this, why do you think Paul told Timothy to um, 
have a little wine for his stomach. I said, God, I don't know. He said, because I'd already said the bishop shouldn't have wine. He had to tell him to drink wine because he had already been off of it, not because he was letting us know it's A-OK. God never contradicts himself. Now, humans contradict God all the time, but he never does. But the fact that Paul had to tell him that tells me that he, it wasn't a normal thing. So if he then turned it into giving him a prescription for medicinal purposes, which is what priests did, particularly high priests. They would tell you various medicinal things to do for your health. And so if, if you were, because we're in the same passage, we tell the bishop, I'm not, I'm not giving the wine. We're in the same passage, same chapter, and yet he's saying drink a little wine. So that must be that. See, you, you understand that when you're chasing religion, you can go any path you want. You know, religion is like a runaway varicose vein. It just keeps breaking and spreading, breaking and spreading, breaking and spreading. But but when you're dealing with a person, it's hard to take a personality and wrench it and turn it into a lot of things. And so apostles are supposed to be dealing with the man, Christ Jesus, the man. You know, so I know a lot of, a lot of you know, say, say whatever, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that a bishop's not to be given to wine or strong drink. So, and, and you know what the issue is? It said because they pervert judgment. Because it makes you too relaxed, makes you laid back, you get to sympathize with the criminals, you get to understand everybody else, your mortality becomes comfortable, it becomes the, the, the ruler and the sovereignty of God takes what, you know, relax, you relax on it. And that's why they did it. It wasn't a matter of sick or not sick, it had to do with being clear headed, objective, and unbiased, unbridable, unmanipulatable. I just thought I'd say, you know, but then if you don't read your Bible, you don't know that. You just listen to what somebody says. I know, isn't that something else? (laughs) All right, let's go to scripture organic Christianity, culturally unmodified. The body of Christ is heaven's bread, which is why Christianity must be organic. We must be organic. There is no way for us to be mixed with it. Jesus himself said, how can Satan cast out Satan? You got folk laying down with sins. I had not pray a lot. Laying down with sins. Just got off the bed of sins, getting ready to go back into the bed of sins. That probably got somebody waiting in the bedroom to get there. Drugs, whatever, and they got a prayer line. And you okay with that? But would you actually go to a doctor who is dripping a disease? Probably not. But then, and not only that, the medical profession would protect you from it. See, but that's a whole other teaching. So let's look at this. <clears throat> so, apostolic Christianity, look at it says, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, God has been saying that to me, like, forever. And I'm like, yeah, but God, I know, you know. You ever tell God you know, and then that's when you know you don't know? God, I know. He said, but you are, mem- you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. If we are the body of Christ, we have the same duty to our body that the Messiah had to his and still has to his. So 
we have got to understand that we are, as a body of Christ, we too are the bread that the world is supposed to eat on. And we've been giving them yeast, inflation, gluten, and all kinds of junk, preservatives, additives, pure purgatives, notatives. Sometimes we don't even know. But understand, we are the orga- we are to bring the organic body of Christ. Because when you think about it, the word when it says the, you know receive with meekness the sincere or pure word of God, which is able to save your souls, the engrafted word of God. And grafted, Peter, you know, that we would desire milk, you know, the sincere, sincere milk of the word. Sincere milk of the word. And then later on, the meat of the word. What did he tell us? He said, not, let us not keep the feast of the Lord with the leaven of knowledge. Come on, honey. We got so mean and mad. I'll tell you, now leaven is all up in our communities. They don't have to, we don't even have to eat it in the, in the bread. It's there. We don't have to worry about the yeast and the wine. It's there. We are fermented all day long. But that's what organic means. So it says, it's talking about not, not, not fighting, just looking for pure wisdom. I did a study today on it, pure wisdom, pure love, pure faith, pure, pure. Just keep looking at it, pure, uncut, undiluted. The pure righteousness of God. And then the counsel of God. What does it say? Whole counsel. Not diluted. Whole counsel of God. Everything about Scripture is organic, and we never paid attention to it. All of those words, man, stay pure. We think about the word holy. Well, you know, I mean, can anybody really say what holy is? I don't know. The, uh, you know, the nature path found a way. They call this, they, they use the word holistic. Holistic is a form of holy. Look it up. So you want holy in your food and in your meal and not in your body. You know, I never forget a woman I went to a restaurant, cracked me up. You know, I got really weird, you know, well, you know, I don't like messing with the people of God. I don't like messing with life because I think life's hilarious. But I, um, I was in a restaurant one time and I asked a woman uh, something about, I think I had ordered some sort of beef something. And so young girl, you know, acne face all over the place or whatever, so she says to me, I don't know because I don't eat meat. And I'm looking in your mouth with a metal earring in your tongue, and you're going to talk to me about a piece of meat? I, I looked at her, and it, it took off because she was such a kid. If she was older, I would have got her. But she's a kid. And I said, no, you suck lead, but you're going to talk to me about not eating meat. I was, I was like, I, all I needed you to say is, I, 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 just, I, just don't, I don't eat it. I've never done it. You know, I don't do it. But see, that kind of hypocrisy is what we do in the church. You know, you're a vegan while you do all of this other stuff. Yeah, and I'm being nice. Did you see how nice I was? I was nice because I only had a few minutes because I was being nice. And I'm going to stay nice tonight. You did very well. All right, because you know. That's right. I could go there. Because I'm like, don't talk to me. Talk, every time I turn around, you're going to talk about Christians being hypocrites. Are you kidding me? You are you all about as hypocritical as the day is long. Are you telling me it's okay for you to be hypocritical because you're not a Christian? Because I don't know how that's going to help society. You've got people believing one thing and then getting something else. But anyway, last month, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And that's what Paul says in Hebrews. So we are God's habitation. We are by the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Christ says his body is bread. 
And we are the bread of the nation. We're the food for the nation. The Holy Spirit is the drink for the nation. And if we do our job right, if we had done our job right, we probably would be in a different place. But it's very hard. Being a Christian is not easy. Trust me, it's easier to be any other religion than Christian. And, and that's why everybody's not in it. Because being a Christian is not for the coward, not for the faint-hearted. You cannot be a coward and be a Christian. You can be a church and be scared of everything, but not a Christian. Because, first of all, God is going to get you every time you try to, every time you try to coward, get up. He said to me, that righteous or bold is a lion, and we are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. So you can't, it's hard to be a Christian, a good one. It's hard to be a true Christian. Now, there are no perfect Christians, but we, and even if there were perfect Christians, we would, be, we would already be imperfected by the world because this is an imperfect world. So your perfection wouldn't count anyway. <laughs> no matter how perfect we are, there's a piece of the world that's going to talk. Come on. I mean, come on. You're, you're, come on, Ashley. We type in a letter. You know you did it right. So why are there three E's and a Y in something that you never <laughs> Imperfect. Okay. You go there, you, you, you're all set, you go to go to the, the printing place, and their machine doesn't work. You have perfect paper, perfect print, perfect everything, imperfect machinery, because we're in, a perfect, we're in an imperfect world. And that's just the way it is. So we ought, to be, we ought to be the best of Christ we can be. We will never be the perfect Christ, because even he had to deal with the imperfections of, of this world. There were just things that he had to deal with just because the world couldn't, couldn't deliver correctness, couldn't deliver accuracy. And so I wanted you to understand, i got one more slide, and I think I'm going to do it come right under the wire. That's what I really think. But I think this one is worth it. The apostolic Christian birthed by Jesus' apostles. We are the divine seed that became the breed that populates the earth with the Godhead's brand. Isn't that powerful? I love it. The divine seed that became the breed. You know, the Holy Spirit breathes everything God brings into existence. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about that, and I told you the Holy Spirit breathes everything God brings. So let's just wrap this up on the last one so you can leave a picture in your mind. Hallelujah. My girl. <laughs> <laughs> New Era Apostleship, Organic, Holistic, and culture, culture Free. New Era Apostleship, and it's trademark, a trademark set. Organic, Holistic, and Culture Free. This is what you should know about the apostolic Christian. Uncut, unmixed, God-preserved, biblically pollutant-free, and culture-free. That is who we are. This is you. This is me. This is apostleship at work, and this is the effects of it when it works well in our lives. We are organic, we're holistic, and we're culture-free. We are uncut, unmixed, God-preserved, biblically pure, pollutant-free, and culture-free, pure from culture. And I want you to recognize that because that means that there are another additives of the words, the world, the preservatives, the little bit of this and a little bit of that. The potency of Christianity is holiness. Nothing is going to make it better. And the only way to be holy is to go purely 100% organic as a Christian. Well, I'm down to the last little bit. I had a great time with you all. It was wonderful. We did.
We got one more. I just, uh, we don't have another time, but I'll just leave you with that there. The thought of these scriptures, read John 631, 648, and also just dig into John 645 through 51. Thursday morning, Paula Price show, 11 o'clock Central. Thursday evening, prophetic ed. Until then, have a great, great time in the Lord. God bless you, and good night. <laughs>